Welcome everyone to the CEO.digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Andrew Weyer. He is the CIO for the UK and Ireland of DHL Supply Chain. Andrew's career has seen him work in many parts of the globe, starting out in South Africa before heading to Australia and now spending his time in Milton Keynes in the United Kingdom. He's generated an impressive range of knowledge through the vast portfolio he's managed, including IT, life sciences, healthcare and transport management solutions. Andrew's passionate about business and also about innovation and I'm looking forward to seeing how the conversation evolves. So welcome to the CEO.digital show, Andrew. Thanks, Craig. Good to be here. So you are working as a CIO for UK and Ireland for DHL Supply Chain. I'd like to know a little bit more about in, in that part of your role, but wanted to find out before you, before you started working there and you started working in IT, can you tell us about that journey and that experience? Yeah, sure. So I kicked off my career in IT in Standard Bank, the banking industry in South Africa, based down in Durban. My first IT role was a facilitator role, training finance and IT. So I was teaching people link between income statements and balance sheets, how to do cash flow forecasting, how to calculate net worth of an organization and see how much money we could lend them. And linked to that was also, I'm going back now to early 80s, introduction of personal computers and facilitating training on how to use those in a banking environment. I did that for about nine years. Left the bank, moved to Johannesburg, joined the pharmaceutical industry, a company called South African Druggers, as a financial and computer training manager. Worked for South African Druggers or, or various iterations thereof through through divestment and, and breakup, ended up in a company called Pharmacare, uh, looking after IT across all functions, finance, HR, manufacturing, sales, marketing, and distribution. We got together with a couple of other pharmaceutical companies, decided there wasn't enough competition in the healthcare distribution market in, in South Africa, decided to build another 3PL, third-party logistics distributor, created a company called Carnesis Logistics, which was procured by Tibbet and Britain. Tibbet and Britain asked me to come across and resolve some challenges with distribution systems, and I joined Tibbet and Britain, which was later bought by Excel and later acquired by DHL, and here I am. Okay. And that journey's taken you, as I mentioned in the introduction, from South Africa to Australia and now the UK. So growing up in probably the most rural area of South Africa, the Transcar Wild Coast, moved up to schooling in Durban, worked in Durban as head for the bank, 
moved to Johannesburg and then uh, went on an adventure more than anything else. So originally my, my role in, in DHL covered uh, Africa and Middle East. So I covered countries, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, Dubai, Saudi and Oman. And then a role came up in, in Australia and decided to go on an adventure down under and look after IT for Australia and New Zealand. And I also ran Transport Management Systems Centre of Excellence for Asia Pacific, which got me quite a lot of cultural diversity, if you, if you like to call it, across APAC. And then spent eight years in Sydney and another opportunity came up. I live by a motto of Carpe Diem, so when I saw those opportunities, I thought I'd got to grab it, to come and spend some time in the UK and Ireland. So here I am, living in Milton Keynes, looking after IT for UK and Ireland. I've also expanded. I've got another role. I look after global transport management systems for DHL supply chain. I also look after global clinical trial systems for DHL supply chain, and I also look after global lead logistics provider systems. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your role as CIO and, and that, that covers all of those those functions. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what does your sort of day-to-day look like? Is it standard CIO business or, or do you think it's quite unique? I think it's unique to CIO world, probably not so unique when we, when we, if we narrow it down to third-party logistics or logistics environment. The difference is we're not working for one company, we're an extension of our customers' supply chains. So my, my customers are all the large Fortune 500s, manufacturing type entities, and we warehouse and distribute their products, so I'm an extension of them. So the systems that I provide are adding value to their supply chains. Depends on the day and depends on the customer interaction and where we're trying to add value. And the last couple of years must have been quite interesting to work in supply chain, considering you know recent events, COVID, Brexit, etc. How has your role changed over the last two to three years, and or sorry, the previous two to three years? And then how do you think it will change over the next two to three years? A bit of a past and present question. Yep. So I mean. COVID really brings home our driving purpose within DHL supply chain or in DHL group is uh, connecting people and improving lives. So when you think back to COVID, there's, there's no greater realization of that purpose than putting container loads of COVID vaccines onto a plane and seeing where they're being delivered that first delivery that hit Israel and distributed in Israel, I mean, was a, was a feat in itself. But working in Australia and trying to maintain integrity of product across a vast geography, including deserts, and trying to maintain vaccines at minus 80 degrees and providing visibility to the entities that are interested, so Australian government, for instance, to know where they are, have they been tampered with, what is the current temperature of that product, and is it, is it available for, for use when it arrives at the final destination? And making sure that people are safe. You know, that's a, so that was a, a, a real eye-opener to see yes, yes purpose being demonstrated daily. And, and that was unbelievably moving, I think, for everyone in, in DHL. So the role change, you know, obviously prior to COVID, everyone's in the office, everyone's engaging, everyone's talking together. Suddenly you're in COVID, you're being separated from your teams, 
you're finding new ways of engaging and making sure that you maintain that emotive connection to your staff is is what's been critical and that's kept us going and we've you know we've managed to find new ways of working keep that interaction going and deliver things like like that that covid uh, distribution solutions and now coming out of covid it's a case of you know trying to get people away from that isolation of home and get them face to face you can't really substitute the passage talk the meeting on the staircase those ad hoc interactions you just don't get in a in a teams environment or a virtual environment you know virtual environments tend to be quite structured quite focused on the agenda you're not reading the body language you're not interacting you're not ad hocing you're not getting to meet someone you've never met at the coffee machine so you know we're trying to get everyone back but the world has also moved on so we're driven by globalization we're driven by digitalization and we're driven by sustainability agenda the planes we've got in the air and the vehicles we have on the road we've got to find ways of of reducing the co2 impact and we've got a a defined scientific target that we're working to and we're running ahead of it so you know we are being quite innovative in in finding new fuels we've managed to find ways to to get our warehouses to to net zero by putting solar panels on the roofs we've got a lot of rooftop on our warehouses and we're lucky that we can put solar panels and stuff in we're deploying building management solutions where we're using iot technology and linking it into into the aircon systems and the business the building management solutions to remove the 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 human element of it so to make sure that, you know that it's uh, that it's effective and it's uh, and it's managing those buildings effectively you know that was one use of iot that i just mentioned we've got a lot more uses of iot and digital technologies across transport and warehousing you can imagine large organization 251 countries we are producing vast amounts of data and data analytics to us is is a big deal and moving towards being able to make decisions based on facts and and leveraging that data to drive value for customers is a key focus area so key focus areas now digitalization how do we meet some of the challenges of labor shortage uk no secret that brexit has uh, created a challenge with influx or lack of influx of certain elements that were available to the labor market previously we battle to fill all the vacancies that we have so as we deploy robotics and automation solutions it's not for us about replacing people it's about cohabitation in our facilities with uh, robots and people uh, digitalization automation and people but we are seeing a change in in the skills required to manage and and leverage the digital automation orchestration and data analytics that that we deploy and in terms of that data analytics is that are there any examples where well, I guess you've made improvements or you have innovated based on the sort of data analytics you've you've found and is it in the the supply chain journey or is it in the the starting point in those warehouses and those sorts of places that you're making those changes the short answer is all the above I'll give you an example so when we just before covid we had a couple of flu outbreaks in 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 sydney and we we started realizing that we could we could almost predict volume increases or decreases in e-commerce 
through the amount of flu medication we were distributing and where we were distributing it. So we're distributing flu medication into northern Sydney, suddenly you know, well, hang on a second, there's an increased uptake. People are sick. They're staying at home. They're sitting in bed and they're bored. What are they doing? They're going online and they're shopping. And so, so that was the first, you know, okay, there's a, there's a lot more value in, in the data than what we first thought about. But we've sort of moved on from that and try to figure out where we can define algorithmic use cases if you like, we don't just want to be creating and deploying data warehouses and data for the sake of it. There's a lot of demonstrable use cases from the past where people have built vast data warehouses and they haven't really got value out of the, the data and the information they have. So we approach it from a use case perspective. What is our use case? I'll give you a sample example of one in a second. What's the use case? What's the data product that we require, that we need? To, to satisfy that use case. Once we know the data product, we can then uh, work on what are the sources. So what data sources do we need to, to feed this data product to deliver a use case? So a simple one, in our warehouses we have lots of locations, in those locations we have lots of SKUs or product. How do we know, we don't want to be counting all of those locations on a daily basis to maintain data integrity. So how do we know which of those locations we should be counting based on characteristics, how often that location has been accessed, is that a high volume movement product, what are the characteristics or indicators that would say those are the locations you should be checking today because that's where you're most likely to have variations. And, and that's where we're trying to find uses for data. So that's one example. Another one I can give you, we have a number of customers where we we perform warehouse operations, but we don't do the transport. For whatever reason, customers using transport from another service provider. If we take that outbound data or outbound volume and we overlay it on the transport that we do do, we can optimize and then calculate this is the rates or these are, this is the value that we could offer to you if you were doing your transport with us. So for instance, if I'm delivering product from uh, East Midlands up to Scotland and I have a customer who's manufacturing in Scotland, but we're not doing the transport, I could potentially do a backhaul load from Scotland back to East Midlands, but I can only understand what value that would add if I overlay the two data sets and do a calculation, say, here's the value, I can now fill the truck or the vehicle, and I'm no longer only costing a one-way load, but someone's paying full price, I can now create a backhaul and split the cost difference across two loads. That's where we're trying to, so it's really based on use cases and real value. Creating value and efficiencies, both, really. That's interesting. In terms of the way the supply chain has evolved lately and the innovation we're seeing what are say threats currently to supply chain we've seen supply chains being hit quite a lot well i would not say recently but there was you know there was at the it was a panama canal and um, obviously brexit COVID, these sorts of things what what are other threats that we're most likely to see yeah look managing risk in supply chain is a core function if you like of what we do as part of what we term lead logistics partner. 
So if we're managing global supply chains for a customer rather than just a single warehouse in a country, we, we tend to look at the whole supply chain holistically. We've got a product that we developed, used to be called Resilience 360. We've since sold that product. We've divested from it. But we still incorporate that product into our solution set. And that product allows you to to look at a global supply chain and identify where are your risks. So if I'm a a motor vehicle manufacturer in the UK and I'm, I'm sourcing component parts from OEMs around the world, and I might have one of those OEM manufacturers in a region or a territory that's susceptible to earthquakes, that would be an identifiable risk. I could then map out and say, okay, if this particular area is hit by an earthquake, where are my alternative sources for this product? And do I have vendors set up, alternative supplies set up in those areas? With Resilience 360, you can then, which is now called Everstream Logistics, by the way, so the name has changed. You can map out and say, let's monitor the internet. And if we pick up that there's an earthquake in this particular territory, and we know that that's going to disrupt, I can automatically transfer any open purchase orders that I have to the new vendor. So that would be an example of managing risk. We did this with the fires in Australia because the fires up the East Coast were significant. We had highways blocked and we could automatically look at alternative methods to get critical supply chain. We are the market share holder, if you like, for pharmaceutical distribution in Australia. We do about 70%. So critical that you have alternative ways of supplying product if you can't get through on the highways. You can have a patient in a hospital in an operating theater who needs critical product if you don't get that product there quickly, the patient can die. So we have to have those alternative measures. And we would quite frequently just find the, the next available Qantas flight from Sydney to Brisbane, get someone in a car, deliver it to the airport, get her on the next available flight. It's in Brisbane within 45 minutes. Get someone to pick the product up at the airport and get it to the operating theater. You know, that, that type of flexibility you need to have in the supply chain. If we're talking about service logistics, we sign up for four-hour break-fix with certain technology companies. So if we're maintaining a service tower for a mobile phone company, you need to be able to demonstrate that you can have a, a path there within two hours. You can have an engineer there at the same time, and you can repair that tower within another two hours, so you've got a four-hour break-fix. And that's constantly under pressure. You know, So you, you need to make sure how much stock, what are the critical components, where am I holding them, can I get there within that time frame, can I manage this, can I orchestrate it, can I integrate with an engineer, can I meet that service level? And that's what we're constantly doing. Having said all of this, the biggest threat is cyber. Cyber, yeah, okay. Cyber threat, phishing emails, we constantly on a draft to educate our staff because the risk is not the technology, the risk is people, <laughs> right? Someone doing something or forgetting to do something that creates an opportunity for a cyber actor to do something silly. I saw someone on my uh, Instagram feed was quite upset with their company because they offered them free coffees as like in their email as a security test. And the people who clicked on the weird link, they were, <laughs> they were then signed up for cyber training. <laughs> they didn't get a coffee. <laughs> They, it's a full-time business, uh, the, the cyber criminals that they're running. So, yeah, you've got to be super vigilant. So 
Talking about the other factors that are impacting supply chain, obviously record high inflation has been a big talking point for everyone. How, apart from raising costs, I mean, how has it impacted DHL supply chain? It's obviously impacted us because, you know, we've, we've had to look at how, how do we support the staff? How do we create, I guess, wellness opportunities? How do we, how do we create opportunities for staff to talk to financial advisors if, if they are running into problem, if they're battling with mortgages and the like? So that, that's the staff side. Obviously, increases and in things over the last year, two years, have also been above what we've traditionally paid in the past. We've had to look at how do we engage with uh, customers and the like to make sure there's a collaborative effort and focus on, on how we fund those. What it has done, though, is, is highlighted opportunities where, where customers are, are trying to get investments and the like off their books. Their, their finance rates are getting higher. So how, how do we take those type of investments in digital technologies, sustainability investments, and how do we commercialize those into, into a value proposition for a customer going forward? And that stood us in really good stead. We are able, because of our size, to get access to funding, and we are able to put really good value-adding commercial propositions forward for customers that help them to keep on the journey of transformation, keep up with their sustainability agendas, and also allows us to secure better contracts with our customers over longer times because we're funding some of these initiatives. I think that's been mutually beneficial. It also allows, Craig, you know, one of our advantages is when we put a digital solution into a warehouse, generally we're looking at it from a a multi-customer perspective. We're not looking at one customer and trying to secure a return from one customer for a particular technology. If I put four or five customers into a warehouse, you know, there's a shared element of this across those customers and it makes it very affordable for those customers to leverage. Yeah. Great. Thanks for expanding. I'm just, I want to go back on something you said earlier about robotics and automation. I just wanted to, from your perspective, how do you see this playing a role and it's, it's playing a big role now robotics been adopted within your industry will it be increasing and and like you say you want to you remove some of the human element through this automation which will probably open up you know jobs in other places but how do you see it playing a role over the next few years that's so playing a massive role so to give you an example and we and we we're collaborating with a number of organizations to get this done. So, you know, we've got partners with a company called Locus Robotics, which is a picking assistant robot. It eliminates the need for a picker to push a trolley around a warehouse where the trolley is automated. So you've still got the picker who would have been doing it. They would have been pushing a trolley, but now the trolley is moving on its own effectively, right? We've got another robot that we've deployed called Stretch, which was a joint development with Boston Dynamics. And what Stretch does, it's designed to automatically unload a, a trailer or a container. And if you think of the movement that a human makes to pick up a carton in a trailer or a container and then twist around and put it onto a conveyor belt, that movement for someone doing it for a couple of hours is quite it could be quite destructive, right? It could be harmful. So when, we've, when we're testing these with our staff, 
they look at it and they say, wow, you're helping me protect my back. But they're still there because they need to monitor it and they need to make sure that they are driving or directing the robot to do what needs to be done. And they also, you know, facilitating the orchestration of what happens after the goods are on the conveyor and are they moving on, are they in the right angles, etc. So that's one that we, we've worked with Boston Dynamics and, that, and it's collaborative. So all our robots to date are collaborative. The one where it's probably not collaborative is a robot that we deploy to clean the floors, right? So you put a robot in and all it does all day, every day, 24 hours a day, it goes around and just uh, cleans the floors. We've got another one that we deployed which puts shrink wrap around a pallet. Now generally, you, you still need someone there because you need to make sure that the pallet is in the right location and someone's controlling the, the robot that's doing the stretch foam wrapping around, the, around the, the pallet. But you don't physically have to do the labor-intensive piece of holding a piece of, of, of cellophane and walking around a pallet to actually do it, right? And then we're deploying staff to, to add value in, in, in other areas. So we're teaching people how to work with these robots, how to maintain them. We're teaching people how to go and do a, what we call a gamba walk. Go and walk around the facility and look for safety issues because one of our driving principles is everyone comes to work safe, everyone goes home to their family safe. So, you know, we're trying to find more opportunities to to improve what's already, I would say, an impressive safety record in, in the industry. We drive, we don't start a meeting without talking about safety first. That doesn't matter if it's a board meeting or a meeting with our staff. The first thing we'll do, we'll say, hang on, we're having a safety moment. Can someone just touch on something? So the last one I, I went to was about tires and the importance of your monitoring your tread. Your tire tread needs to be different in winter versus summer. The one before that was a thing called the Dutch Reach, which is trained to every driver in, in Holland. And the Dutch Reach is when you open your door, if you're driving a, a right-hand drive vehicle, don't use your right hand to open the door because as you open it, there could be a cyclist game passed. Rather use your left hand because if you use your left hand, it forces you to turn and you can see what's coming. A simple thing. So we do this every meeting, every session. So safety, training people in different skills in the warehouse, driven by that deployment of robotics and other alternative technologies, we're finding new roles for people, but we're not finding that people are disappearing. Our greatest strength is our people, but in the future, we're going to need people with different skills. So, you know, generative AI, we're going to need people who know how to leverage generative AI when we can figure out a way to make it safe and secure. We're definitely not leveraging or letting generative AI loose in our organization <laughs> right now. So do you have a team that looks after innovation or is that the responsibility of like, you know, the sea level and, and the heads of? Firstly, innovation is everyone's agenda. So it's, a, it's, like, it's like business development and growth. It's like safety and cybersecurity, everyone's agenda. But we're lucky in our organization that we are of a size where we can have some really focused global teams looking after certain agendas. So we've got a global team that looks after cybersecurity. We have a global team that looks after IoT adoption, a global team that looks after data analytics. We put those under an umbrella of accelerated digitalization and standardization. 
we follow a, a, a typical trend analysis driven approach, if you like. So we do, we produce, and you can go and Google this, it's free to the market, everyone can has got access to it. It's called the DHL trend analysis, it comes out every two or three years, and we split it into business and social trends, and on the right hand side we've got technology trends. And then we look at what's going to impact us in the next year, the next five years, and the next ten years, and we focus on those which are most applicable to third-party logistics and, and, and logistics. And then we we put people behind those trends to see, one, how they're going to impact us, and two, what we have to do to to counter those trends or or leverage those trends to add value for customers. Great. It sounds like you guys have got it covered in terms of, in terms of delivering that innovation. You, you seem very passionate about it, so it must be very interesting to sort of you know work across all that. It's incredibly fulfilling and I encourage anyone you know just go to YouTube and Google DHL and robotics you'll get a full view of everything we're doing from collaborative robots to stretch to Boston Dynamics has got Atlas which is the the robot you see throwing the toolbox up top we're working with uh, Boston Dynamics to see what future iterations of Atlas could be useful in a in a warehousing environment we're also looking to see, you know, how do we better orchestrate all the resources at our disposal, human resources, robotics resources, and automation resources. How do we fully orchestrate those? How do we automate them? How do we link into future drone technology, future autonomous vehicles? What does the future city look like in, in 2050? And what do we need to be creating today to meet that future? A lot of work going into that, a lot of effort, and a lot of focus, especially on the sustainability piece and how do we make all of that green. Exactly. So I will post a link uh, in the page that we produced this on to, to show people that, but that sounds very interesting. So we are sort of approaching the end uh, in terms of our time limit, but is there anything that you think is happening in your industry that's not getting enough attention and that's worth, worth mentioning? I think the sustainability agenda is the one that's, I wouldn't say it's not getting enough attention. We are putting significant attention behind it. But we, we saw that we were, we were a leader in the industry, in our industry, coming out with the first one to put scientific-based targets on the table. And we're seeing the rest of the industry now starting to catch up. But I, I think that would be my encouragement to everyone in the industry we all have to do this. Uh, we only have one planet. We've got to make it livable. And, and you know, it's, are we doing a lot? Yes, we're doing a lot. Are we all doing enough? No, we need to do more. And I think that's my, my request to, to, to everyone out there. Let's do more in that sustainability piece. And in terms of aspiring CIOs and, and people working in this field, what sort of advice would you give people who are making their way on their career path right now? So, so two things, I would say. Firstly, carpe diem. You've got to seize the day. Find the opportunity, and when opportunity comes, grab it. You know, opportunities are, are far and few between. They don't come up often. And if you see something that looks exciting and should I or shouldn't I, just do it. You know, go on an adventure. Your career's on adventure. It was an adventure that took me to Australia, and, you know, it's an adventure that brought me to the UK. I didn't... 
I, I'd been to the UK before, but I'd never had the opportunity to live here and experience UK. And and being here, I get the opportunity to experience and, and spend time in Europe as well. So you can't just work. You need to have a little bit of fun as well. So take those opportunities and experience it. The, the second thing is any aspirant CIO, you, you need to be performing your role with a business mindset. We are in business to make money. Everyone is. So you need to look at every single thing you do from a commercial perspective. The other thing that we're all trying to do is add value. Don't focus on cost. Focus on the value. What is the value that you're driving? And if you can justify the value versus the cost, then you don't need to worry too much about the cost. You need to sell the value to your CEOs and your finance departments. And people buy on value. They don't buy on the cost. So what value can this add to my organization? What value can this drive in terms of competitive advantage? So those would be my two things. Focus on the value and carpe diem. Have some fun and take advantage of the opportunities. Solid advice. And that really, that does wrap up the business end of the, the show. But I have a couple of questions in our sort of remaining minutes. You spoke, this is more of a personal getting to know you a bit better, Andrew. And you spoke about those three countries, SA, Australia, UK. Let's go for the best food. Which, which country does it best? <laughs> I think in my heart, I'm African. We did, we did a belonging exercise last week or the week before, and I said, you know, the one thing about me that you can't tell just by looking at me, I'm African. You know, I noticed your arm and there's, a, there's an Africa, <laughs> and, you know, you can't, you can't take Africa out of yourself. So food for me, I'm a fanatic around a bra, not yeah. a barbecue. <laughs> Barbecue is the thing you stand in to get your hair cut, <laughs> as we say. Yeah, barbecue and seafood, and I think we go a long way to beat South Africa with some of the Portuguese influence, Mozambique influence around seafood. Yeah, those are my two. Good choice. And are you are you watching anything good? Are you listening to anything good? Any good book recommendations? <laughs> a good book recommendation. So, um, you know, there's a book that I read a long, long time ago that's always... Uh, stuck with me and I've recommended it to quite a few people over the years. It's a it's an author called Chinua Achebe and Chinua Achebe was an author out of uh, out of West Africa and he wrote a book called Things Fall Apart and it's about the destruction of a society through individual silly actions and it just demonstrates how a few people doing a few silly things can uh, can cause a community to implode. So there's a, a book Watching. I'm watching the staircase on, on now at the moment, which is uh, very interesting and has a few twists and turns. I like a good drama, good, uh, good crime movie or novel. So staircase is good. And then last question is: How would your family describe what you do versus what your friends describe what you do versus say what your boss describes what you do? Don't really understand it. It's over going over my head too technical for me <laughs> my boss i'm not sure critical component critical part of the business don't see yourself as a, as a function you are the business uh, we all have a, a role to play and as i said earlier on you know we all we're all responsible for safety we're all responsible for business development and growth we're all responsible for for innovation so i like to take that to heart and even in a function, I like to pull in our, our vendors and suppliers and say, hey, 
how do we jointly do something in our space that can help you grow your business and us grow our business? Wonderful. It's been great chatting with you, Andrew. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. So thank you so much for your time. Been really good, Craig. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Enjoy your day. Yes, you too. And for those that enjoyed the podcast, please do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to look at our amazing guest list. Thank you very much.